Welcome to Kings River Life's Mystery Rats Maze podcast, where we share with you mystery short stories and first chapters of mystery novels read by local actors. This episode features the first two chapters of A Baker Street Wedding by Michael Robertson and read by local actor Kelly Ventura. A Baker Street Wedding was published by Minotaur Books in December of 2018 and is part of the Baker Street Letters series. The Baker Street Letters series is about a barrister who establishes his new law chambers in the 200 block of modern-day London. He gets a bargain on the lease and then discovers that because his portion of the building includes the address 221B Baker Street, he is now responsible for dealing with letters that people write to Sherlock Holmes. The main protagonists are barrister Reggie Heath and Laura Rankin, the London stage actress he is trying to win back from media mogul Robert Buxton. In A Baker Street Wedding, Laura takes center stage, and as yet another letter to Sherlock Holmes arrives and gets in the way of her marrying the man she loves, Laura's past intrudes as well, including the boarding school where she spent her adolescence and the weird and spooky little village nearby on the moors. A Baker Street Wedding by Michael Robertson Chapter 1 A young woman ran across Baldfin Moor just after dusk, with the sun gone and the quarter moon not yet risen, the white-gray rocks embedded everywhere in the thawing mud and unseen until she struck them, punished her feet painfully. But she did not slow until she reached the top of a small rise. She had to stop, just for a moment, because her lungs were heaving and burning. She looked behind her for her pursuers. She could not see them in the pitch dark, nor could she hear them clearly, with the wind howling and whipping the heather about. But she was sure they were there. The young woman had crow's feet and shadows around her eyes, but they were not real. They were due to an especially heavy application of Ben Nye eye makeup for the stage. Her face was lined, but the wrinkles were drawn in with a pencil. She had ruby-red lips, but they were not her preferred colour. And she had blood on her hands, which was advertised as tasting like peppermint and resistant to melting under the sweat of stage lights, but easily removable with warm soap and water. Unlike the blood on the hands of the character, she had been cast to play. What was real about the young woman was her jet-black hair, her startling blue-violet eyes, and her very sincere desire to be an actress. And now, her very real fear of what was pursuing her. Her parents had once told her that she could be the next Elizabeth Taylor, and after she had googled Elizabeth Taylor, she knew that was a compliment. But, of course, she wanted to be like Scarlett Johansson, or like Katie Holmes, or like the tall, famously freckled Laura Rankin. Being like any one of them would do. She was young and healthy and forward-looking, and she did not believe in curses despite what the others back at the theatre rehearsal had said. A brisk walk on the moor, with the wind blowing and Wagner playing loudly in her headphones, would clear her mind— help her ignore all the nonsense, and also help put her many lines into a context all her own. 
The walk had begun pleasantly enough. With headphones on, she couldn't hear the gusting wind, but she could see it, whipping the pink heather, stirring the early spring grass. She saw patches of tall yellow gorse bushes moving in the wind as well, and she picked her way around them. One had to avoid their thorns. The wind stirred no dust. It was the moor, after all, not a desert, and except for the white-grey rocks, everything there was either living or had been. She had hiked to the top of the nearest hill on Baldfin Moor, and paused, leaning against a granite tor that had withstood eons of weather, and hoping to see a couple of the wild ponies known to frequent the region. But no, not this time. In the waning light, she had seen only a large patch of head-high yellow gorse, the yellow flowers shifting and shimmering in the last ray of sun, and the branches still moving in the wind. Which was odd, because everywhere else the wind had stopped. The heather nearby didn't seem to be moving at all. She took off her headphones to listen, not trusting her vision alone. Yes, the wind had stopped and yet the branches of the nearest yellow gorse bush she had just passed, only a few yards behind her, had just now moved again. She was sure of it. And not only was she sure she had seen that motion, but now she could also smell it. The yellow gorse, wind disturbed, emitted a very distinct aroma, like coconut oil. Could smell it as strongly as if someone had opened a bottle of tanning lotion. Now it was so dark that it was certainly time to head back. She wanted to walk right back down the way she had come up, using the faint grey shapes of the rocks to guide her steps. But that would take her right by that tall patch of gorse, and she wanted to be sure. Hello! She felt foolish calling out, but she could not think of what had moved those bushes if a person had not. Is someone there? She took a tentative step in that direction. If she could be certain that no one was there, hiding behind the thorny branches, she was going to rush right past that stand of gorse and down the slope. As dark as the night now was, she would run down the path, and if her feet hit the rocks and she tripped, so be it. She would eventually get to the safety of the theatre. But now, as she took that step, the branches moved again. She heard them, smelled them, nearly felt them. And she heard a low, guttural, and frighteningly angry human sound. She abandoned her plan. She turned and began to run further out onto the moor. And then suddenly she pitched forward. She put her arms out but found nothing to catch and break her fall. It was just all blackness. The surprise of it was so great that she could not even think to scream. Chapter 2 At the Wayward Pony, the only pub in Baldfin, the establishment's owner had laid out a tabloid newspaper, open to the gossip pages as he tended bar. The London-based actress Laura Rankin was getting married, and her choice of mates was a subject of discussion. The Daily Sun calls him the balmy barrister of Baker Street, said Charlie, with some authority as he drew another pint for a customer. Something to do with letters that he gets, and says he almost blew up the sewer under Hyde Park once. 
Charlie, in his mid-thirties, with the slightly stocky and somewhat paunchy build of a former athlete, set the freshly filled glass on the bar with more emphasis than was really necessary. Says here is QC, though, Queen's Council, said a man in a wool cap, picking up the beer. So what? said Charlie. I'll bet you could throw a rock in any direction from the inns of court and bonk one of those. Sophie, the barmaid, came over now. She was boisterous and several years younger than the man pouring the beer. Oh, you're so right, Charlie, she said, laughing. I'd have bonked one or two of them myself when I visited London last year, but they're all so stuffy. Charlie laughed too, but half-heartedly. Of all the people in the pub, he seemed the most genuinely unhappy about the announced nuptials. Yes, he said. She could have had a real man, not some toff. Now an older man, with deliberately unkept, Einsteinishly wild grey hair, reached across the bar and slapped a consoling hand on the bartender's shoulder. Let it go, lad, he said. She was never for you. Fate had other things in mind. I know celebrities are no affair of mine, Mr. Turner, said Charlie. He still called the older man that, just as he had back in the day when Mr. Turner had been one of his teachers. But that reminds me of a girl I knew in school, that one who, if you hadn't interrupted us when you did that time out back of the football field on the moor. Another man, about Charlie's age, slapped the bar and loudly said, If he hadn't, that bird would have put a knee in your groin, Charlie, just like all the others do. Everyone laughed. Charlie turned away, and as a distraction, he went to the other end of the bar, where the barmaid was polishing up a bit, and indicated that she had missed a spot. Don't worry, Charlie, she smiled, as she took a swipe at the alleged spot, and then walked past him. I won't knee in the groin. Then they're done that. There was more laughter. Charlie pretended that he had something more important to do in the back of the kitchen, the barmaid drew a pint and went to put it down very closely, in front of a dark-haired fortyish man, who stood out a bit from the others in the bar, because he was wearing not only a glued-on salt-and-pepper beard, but also a medieval tunic. The barmaid whispered to him as she delivered his beer, though not so softly that it could have been much of a secret. "'See you after?' "'It might be late, Sophie.' said the man, in a bit of a humble bragging due to his having the lead role in the community theatre. Last week of rehearsal and all that, you know. It might be getting late here too, love, said Sophie, and she turned away with an attitude that should have made the costume man consider that she was getting annoyed at his lack of commitment. But he quickly shrugged that thought away, because the front door had opened, admitting a blast of cold wind which rustled the pages of the tabloid. He turned to look, hoping that a specific one of three young witches, or perhaps, in his most ambitious imagination, even all three of them in a group, had entered in need of a brew and some theatrical advice. But no, it was only the director, a smallish, balding man in his fifties, and Mrs. Hatfield, the artistic director, who called out loudly to everyone in the pub, "'Has anyone seen my Lady Macbeth?' Everyone caught the urgency in her voice, and they all turned to look. The costumed actor shook his head. 
Mrs. Hatfield proceeded to the back of the pub, where the barmaid was setting a basket of fish and chips down in front of the local real estate agent and his wife. "'Have you?' said Mrs. Hatfield, looking at each of them. All three shook their heads. "'No,' said the barmaid. "'Sorry. Was she expected to be here?' "'No,' said Mrs. Hatfield. "'She was expected to be at rehearsal. She went out for a walk behind the theatre to centre herself and recover her character's motivation. Or so she said. But that was forty minutes ago.' "'So she went out for a walk on the moor,' said the real estate agent. "'She's done that before, hasn't she?' "'She's not from around here,' said Mrs. Hatfield. "'She's a city girl. "'She only came out to do the play, "'and she never takes this long.' At the far end of the bar, a man of about eighty, grizzled and weather-worn, put down his beer and said, "'There's worse things than spending a night on the moor. "'It's not so bad in springtime. "'I got caught out at night more than once as a lad "'when I had to chase down stray sheep.' He picked up his beer again and then quickly added, "'And no smart remarks out of you, Charlie.' Charlie had just now come back in from the kitchen. Now the costume man stood full of self-importance. "'Mrs. Hatfield, I'll help you look if you like,' he announced. "'Charlie, lend us a torch. We'll find her in no time.' "'I'm sure you will,' said the barmaid. "'I'll help,' said Mr. Turner, grabbing his raincoat. The director stayed at the bar, and shook his head as the party of three went out the door. Amateurs, he muttered. Amateurs, how can anyone work like this? This reading of A Baker Street Wedding was produced by Kings River Life and directed by Laurie Lewis Ham. A Baker Street Wedding is available for purchase. You can learn more about this book and others in the series on the author's website, thebakerstreetletters.com. Check out Kings River Life Magazine's websites for more mystery, local theater, animal rescue, and so much more. kingsriverlife.com and krlnews.com. Now we'll be back next time with another mystery short story or mystery first chapter. Subscribe to our podcast to make sure that you don't miss a single episode. And follow us on Twitter to keep up with everything KRL, at Kings River Life. Until next time, this is your announcer, Jim Tuck, wishing you a life full of mystery. Mystery.